It's important as Christians that we know the story of Scripture, that we know the story of God, the story of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and their interaction with mankind. We began talking about this story through four scenes last week. And those are the four scenes that we're going to continue to use for the next two weeks following this. Those pictures or scenes are the Garden of Eden, the desert, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the eternal garden. And these tell God's story, the story that we're caught up in, where our lives find meaning and purpose. In that story that runs from Genesis 1, in the beginning God, through Revelation 22 and beyond, into eternity. It's important that we know this story. So last week, we began talking about the Garden of Eden, actually the, the beginning of the story, and how God had created all things with perfect intent. Everything was in its right place. Our relationship with God the Father, our relationship with one another, and our relationship with creation was exactly how it was supposed to be. Everything was working in harmony. But we know that's not the way things are now. Now we find ourselves in the desert, the second scene, the place where the effects of sin begin to shape our world. So I want to look at that scene a little bit more today. But I'd like to start by having you imagine a family of three, a mother, a father, and a two-year-old daughter at their dinner table. Do you have that picture in your mind? No, came the resounding response from the little girl. Food was everywhere. Chaos abounded. The parents hung their heads in frustration. No matter what they did, they couldn't get her to eat her food. Reason didn't work. Apparently there was no convincing her that vegetables were good for her. Something that color shouldn't be eaten, something that texture, uh, she just would not eat them. Punishment didn't work. Every time they tried to punish her or, or give her some sort of consequence for her actions, she just dug her heels in all the more, became more forceful, resilient in her rebellion and her determination to do whatever she wanted and not what her parents wanted. These were definitely the terrible twos. If you're a parent, you know what those are like. As an uncle, I've, I've experienced them. I'm, I'm glad they've been kept at a distance. See, the parents, they were frustrated. They looked out at their daughter and they started to wonder Maybe she's demon-possessed. I mean, this can't be right. Maybe that's a bit extreme. But their frustrations were mounting to the peaks of Everest. See, her rebellion was open. It was intentional, it was deliberate, and it was violent. Parents didn't know what to do. You know, they, they knew they had to stick to the rules. After all, parents have rules. They, they make their children eat vegetables. They set limits on what they can watch and do because they love them, and they know what's best for them. But I can 100% guarantee right now to you that no two-year-old thinks that deeply. They are concerned with the immediate pleasures, with this moment, and they don't know why you've taken away the thing that they want. See, children, at least I believe, 
reveal who we are as people, sinful by nature. They show us what's in our hearts. See, children are selfish. They, they want what they want, and they think that they're king of the, or queen of the castle, and no matter what anyone else says, they're determined to do it their way, and anyone who opposes them, well, they're the enemy, and they will throw a fit. They don't care how big parents are. They want things to be done their way. So there's a reason that we spend years raising children, teaching them how to share, how to be kind, how to say thank you, how to respect authority. If we didn't, they would be taking over the world. And the only reason they're not right now is, is because they're not physically strong enough. But you see, there's something I've noticed, and maybe it's because I'm not a parent, but it seems like people have put on blinders. Because whenever you talk to most adults, children are pure and innocent. Right. That doesn't seem to be the reality that I've seen as I've watched children. You see, they tend to be unashamed and are rarely sorry for their sins. Unless, of course, they're caught. And then they're happy to say they're sorry or or do what they think you want. But they don't really feel that shame over the wrong things they do. They're just doing whatever they want. Children reveal the way that we are from birth. And see, they show the way we are before we've learned how to conceal, how to mask, how to hide our sin and our sinful intentions. They show us the way we truly are beneath the facade. And as you grow older, maybe you don't see it in other children, but when you look back at your own life, you can kind of see, well, Man, I wasn't that innocent as a, as a kid. I, I didn't always do the right thing. You know, we come to, to see the truth a little bit better. And Mark Twain, the, the great author, once had a quote that I think captures as well. This is what he said. When I was a boy of 14, I couldn't believe how ignorant my dad was. I couldn't stand to be around the old man. But it was astonishing. By the time I turned 21, he'd grown so wise. He'd learned so much. You know, those seven years, I think it was uh, the author growing a little bit wiser, not the the dad, kind of shows the way we are. Now, let me be clear. As I give this sermon, I'm not trying to bash children. That's, That's not my point at all. It's that who they are and the way they are reveals the way that we are since our relationship with God has been broken, since sin has entered into the world. As, as David wrote in Psalm 51, in it, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Since our relationship with God has been broken, everything's amiss. Nothing's quite right. And while the law is still written on our hearts, as it says in Romans chapter 2, we tend to turn away. You see, our continued sinful behaviors and sinful actions are a willful act to turn culture away from God. See, it's a life spent in service and in work of Satan. We're captive to sin by nature. We struggle. In fact, it says in Scripture that the only way we can come to faith is if God draws us to faith, if God gives us faith. It's by his power, not our own, that we're brought into God's kingdom. And that's how things change. 
See, last week we talked about God's perfect order in creation and how at the end of the first chapter of Genesis, God creates mankind, you and me, the pinnacle of creation says, it is very good. And how God looks down on his creation. He looks at us and sees a bunch of people who are perpetually in their terrible twos, who hear his words and what he has to say and continue to stomp our feet when we don't like it and say, no, no, no. I'm going to do things my own way. God hears what we have to say. He offers us and reminds us again of the Garden of Eden, promises that he's got something in store for us if we just trust in him and turn to him. But we often balk at his offer. We'd rather be king of the wasteland in a land parched and dying than give up our reign of terror and recognize him as king. We'd rather continue in our rebellion. But the result of our sin, the result of our rebellion is death. Death is a common enemy everywhere in the world. It's in every city, every culture, every creature, every civilization. Death touches everything. Every green tree, every blade of grass, every flower, and turns it into a desolate desert. That's the second picture of God's story is the world that is rebelling against God's picture and God's intent. A world marred by our sin when we face the consequences of what we've done. See, it's a place of death and desolation, of desperation and want, where everything seems empty and hollow. The valleys are dry. The rivers don't run. We've turned against God and his order. See, what we've done is we've taken the place that's reserved for God in our hearts and we've put an idol in this place. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's beauty, sports, whatever it might look like, nation, anything that that we could put our trust and our hope in. And we put that in the place where God alone belongs. And every time we do that, eventually those idols get exposed. They get shown as nothing more than a false hope. Lifeless images things that weren't deserving of our trust. And every time that happens, how do we act? Well, we act like petulant children in our terrible twos. We get angry. We get frustrated. We dig in our heels and we're just going to ride it out. We're going to figure it out and solve it ourselves. Who, who dares tell us how to live our lives? Our situation seems hopeless. And yet in the desert where, where death reigns, God continues to raise up witnesses to his story. To his story that runs from the Garden of Eden as promised intent for creation into the desert wasteland where God continues to call people his own. To the Garden of Gethsemane where everything would be reversed. And to that eternal garden where we'll be with God again. So God raises up 
people to proclaim this story of hope. Our Heavenly Father knows us and loves us. He will not abandon us. From eternity, before even Genesis chapter 1, God knew what we were going to do, knew what was going to happen, and had a plan of salvation from the start. In Genesis 3, chapter 15, immediately after Adam and Eve give into temptation, the story we call the fall, we hear that first promise of God's plan of salvation. God declares that he would put enmity between Satan and Eve's offspring. And that though Satan would strike his heel, that offspring would crush Satan's head. God had a plan for us in the desert wilderness, in the place where we now dwell. See, God called forth a family through Abraham. Bless one of Abraham's descendants, children, Jacob, and renamed them Israel. God sent Moses into Egypt to set the people free from slavery and provide for them in the desert wilderness of Sinai. God sent judges and kings to deliver the nations, deliver the people from the nations. He sent prophets to point them back to the hope of deliverance and to call them back to faith again and again. In that desert wilderness, God calls Abraham and says through one of his descendants, he will raise up a root, the root of Jesse, King David's greater son, who would eternally be set on the throne, who would establish righteousness and set things right on the last day. That is King Jesus, our Lord and Messiah. And in Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abraham, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to all nations. All peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Here, we learn that God's promise is not just for one family, one tribe, one nation, but for all nations, all peoples of the earth. And we learn and come to see that the nation of Israel is a direct result of God's promise. And it is created for the intent of bringing forth God's plan of salvation. For out of that nation, out of the line of David, A savior would come. A king would come. That descendant of Abraham who would set all things right. Jesus the Christ. He is that greater king to come. See, like a flower blooming in the desert. The desert is not a place so without hope that we have nothing to look forward to. Even in the desert days, in the trials of our lives, when everything seems broken and we see the results of the world and we can see how broken this place is, God still provides symbols of hope for you and me. The promise to Eve of a descendant. The sign of the rainbow to Noah. Moses leading the people out through the Red Sea out of Egypt. Judges and deliverers that would point forward to a greater deliverer to come who would deliver us not just from our physical enemies but from sin and death itself. And all the prophets who reminded us again and again of that Savior to come who would redeem and restore all that was lost. 
ultimately God entered into creation himself. God came into the desert to us where we were because we could no longer get to him to restore that relationship. And so Jesus came into our world. And by his life and by his death, he has made a way for that relationship to be restored. Given us hope in the desert. See, every person, every story in Scripture points to God's story and his plan of salvation. And as we come to know those stories, we come to see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been working together, driving forward God's plan of salvation in love and in action by their works so that ultimately all things might be redeemed and restored that were lost in the fall, not just you and me, but all of creation, that everything might be set right again. As we come to know God's story, we see that God is still active today. He's still working. He's still in control. But you and I, we walk in the wilderness. We walk through this desert land and we struggle with our sins. And yet we struggle as people with hope because we know God's story. We know the ultimate outcome. And yet there are so many people in our world who wander in the wilderness, in the desert places of this life, who have no hope, who don't know what God has done for them, for you and for me. So what sign of hope do we have to offer them? We don't have prophets. We don't have judges and kings like ancient Israel. So what sign do we have to give them? We, the church, are the very sign that points people to the hope we have in God. We get to be that sign, you and me. So we proclaim this story we're, we're telling again through these four weeks, the story of what God has done through these four scenes. We remind people, that we believe in a king who has come, who is reigning, and who will come again in glory. We live lives that reflect the hope we have. And we bear good fruit, as Jesus said. Fruit like that described in Galatians chapter 5, the, the fruit of the Spirit. We let our lives be an example to those around us. We proclaim the good news. That God's cosmic reign in Jesus Christ has begun and will ultimately eradicate evil and death from God's universe. Because it is his universe. And as a result of that, our sin problem will also be dealt with. See, we as God's people, we walk forward through life with hope. Pushing forward because we know how this story ends. And so though we walk through the desolate desert now, we wait for that day when it will be a distant memory in God's eternal garden. And then may the truth and peace of Jesus Christ guard your hearts and minds in the true faith now and forevermore. Amen.